couple of weeks ago, I yelled to say to, um, so are you speaking at all in this series? Oh, I said, no. I said, I'm just, I'm just not qualified, really. I just can't speak to that. He said, oh, good. And then Pastor Enns <clears throat> said, PJ, could you bring the message on the 15th of February? I said, sure, not a problem. I said, God, help me. Because I wrestled. How, how, why would I be able to bring this word for today? You know, the first time I heard about New Zealand was from a young teenager uh, in our youth group. And he talked about that he wanted to go to New Zealand. And I thought, then dream on. Uh, go for it, not me. Anyway, I married this young man, and we got three children. And then, um, as I am a dreamer, I started to dream about a place. And I thought it was heaven, but later on I found I was dreaming about New Zealand. And I saw all the beautiful mountains, and I saw the rivers. I saw trees that I'd never seen before, birds that I'd never seen before. I saw so much about a place that I thought which was heaven, but later I found out I was, God allowed me to see New Zealand. So I saw New Zealand in my dreams, and so that meant um, Yalta and me arrived in New Zealand in 81 with our three children under five, six suitcases, a few dollars in our wallet, and a few words of English under our belt. And that was our start of New Zealand. And because Yalta was a, a registered nurse, and, and was employed by um, Waikato Health, but in Tokoru Hospital, was a psychiatric hospital, uh, we had the privilege that we, uh, they had a house for us. And so we forever grateful. Obviously, it was a house with nothing in it, and we did have nothing, and so we started from nothing. We didn't know, but we were the only white Pakia people in a settlement of 25 houses, were all Maori. And, uh, and so we learned a lot from all the people around us. Obviously, the language, the culture, and they welcomed us as family. They invited us to their marae. They invited us to be part of the tangi when they had a bereavement in their family. We ate many hangis, some really good ones, and some not so good ones. <laughs> But when we were on the Marae, and we've been there many times, on the Marae, you see, I don't know if you haven't been on the Marae, you see all those beautiful photographs from all their ancestors, for those who already have passed on, and they, they, they honor them by putting all these photos up, and they talk with great love and a great respect about their ancestors. We came to New Zealand with a little wee folder, <laughs> and our family... And Yalta's family, I put a, a really wee note of goodbye and their photo in it to, you know, to say, you know, don't forget us. There was a little wee folder because they found it so hard to bring it into words what it really would mean to have all their grandchildren go to a faraway country. And some of our parents believed that they would never see us again. That was actually not true, okay? So then we were on the Marae, and I saw all those mattresses. 
And I said, what, what is that about? Yeah, no, wow. Well, she said, when we are on the Marae, most of us stay for a night or two, and obviously if there is a tangi and you are family, you stay on the Marae, and then all the mattresses are gone, uh, yeah, all packed, and everybody is sleeping in the one room. And you know what? In that moment, I felt at home. Because our first year in New Zealand, we had one mattress. And we slept with five of us on one mattress. That's the only thing we could afford. And was it a problem to us? No, it was fine. We were together. I always say that people I love the most were on that one mattress. And for months and months, we had only had one mattress. But when I saw those mattresses in the morning, I thought, okay, I'm okay. My family in the Netherlands will be aghast to know that we slept on the floor for so long on one mattress. But hey, it's okay. And so we learned a lot from those first years. We were welcomed as family. And still today, we find it a privilege and an honor to live in New Zealand. And I think, you know, I have really no right to speak about New Zealand. I'm an immigrant. What, what, I, God, what, what can I say? But I do say that what I learned from the Maori people then, that whakapapa is so important. And even though I had only a little wee folder, and I, and, and I couldn't recall what all my mum and my dad and everything said, but it really brought it home how important family is. And it doesn't really matter where you are or where you come from. It's important, your origin, where you come from. So quite often the Western world uh, stores their, their history external. So that means it's in a book or something. But if you are married, then... Uh, most married people, they know their history. They, they, they can tell you what iwi or hapu or whatever they come from. Uh, and sometimes me, I'm just talking about me, okay? We're a Western, you really struggle with that. And we find history in our books. I tell you a story about my dad who was in a war, in the Second World War. He was a young man and was called up for service by the German army, and obviously he didn't want to, but anyway, he got caught and was put in a camp. And, um, and he, he saw unspeakable things in that camp. And so he came back from uh, after the war, when the war was over, he came back uh, to uh, where we lived, and he started his life with mum and, and all of us. He never talked about what he had experienced in that camp and what he has seen uh, because he would get so moved and so emotional. He couldn't get the words out because he said it was unspeakable. It was just, he couldn't. When it was in the 60s and early 70s, the books came out about the Second World War. And my dad bought all the books for us to look at. Um, and he, he, some of us were still quite young, but my dad did not hesitate for us all to have a look at the books because he wanted us to know 
what had happened, although he couldn't share the story of himself. And I so wished, even though it would have been so hard for my dad, I would have heard his story, what it was like for him. So by carrying our whakapapa, our family, uh, it's very important because we carry history. And we carry, and for Maori people, it seems so normal and natural uh, that they have no problems at all. Last week we were in Rotorua and there were uh, people there and, and talked about their whakapapa and man, he was going Ngāti Ho and Ngāti Puro and this and and I was just lost. I think, where are we? You know, uh, but it seems to be so natural and normal to them, and we can if we can learn from it. I mustn't lose my footings. And so to to honour our forebearers, to honour them, to respect them. And when we go back to the Netherlands, um, we always go to the brook, and that is a little wee town where Yelta grew up and all his family, all his forebears. Why do we go there? To be sad? No. We go to this beautiful, beautiful place where his, all his parents and grandparents, his uncles, his brother, they are all in the same graveyard in the, in the cemetery. We go there to honor, not to be sad, but to honor them and to bring in memory you know who our parents were. Yalta's brother, who died very on, in an early age. And so that we bring up the story. I have, we have valued now the story of our family. Now we are away from them. So then you remember your story because you need to bring it into today as we live. Christian faith is the art of memory. The importance of memory is for one reason, we have this Bible and everything can put back into life today because of this word. God is constantly imploring, even in his word, constantly talking uh, about to remember what he has done, always, because he doesn't want the people to forget what he has done for them. And not only for them, but tell their children and their children and from generation to generation. So that brings me to Joshua 4. So when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the, from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from a very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And so when your children ask in time to come, what are those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the, the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan came back, cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Forever. In Deuteronomy 11, 19, it says, teach them to your children 
talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road or when you lie down or when you get up. In Joel 1, verse 3 says, Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children and tell their children and pass the story down from generation to generation. So powerful, isn't it? And that's what means the story is contained internally. It is not contained in a book, but it is contained here. And it's so powerful when that is passed on. So go back to that story centuries later with the people of Israel. As a result of generational forgetfulness, what God had done, they find themselves in exile. Not just a few people, the whole people of Israel, they were all in exile. And then in that time, a prophet spoke and bring a message of comfort and of hope and reminding them that God has not forgotten them. And you all know this verse. Oh, we speak it so, so often. But I hope today you get a, a fresh glimpse of it. It says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Our Western way of thinking uses this word. I have many times, always, uses this word to go forward in the future. We just declare it over our children when I was a youth pastor, I don't know how many times I declared it to the young people that the plans that God has for you are for good. I brought it into my grandchildren's birthday cards all the time so that they will not forget that God's plans are for good. But the Hebrew word here, right at this place, is entirely the opposite to our modern way of thinking. The Hebrew word for future used here, I don't know if I pronounce it right, but I'll just say it anyway. Hadarit. I don't know. Might, might be a bit different, but anyway. So it says, what is unusual about the word that is that it literally means afterward, backward, or after part. So that it, how can it then be for the future? The Hebrew concept of time is like a man rowing a boat. He sees where he has been, but the future is towards his back. He backs into the future, and it is entirely unknown to him because it is behind him. The Hebrew understanding of future is quite similar of the Maori worldview. Maori have a, a proverb, and I'm going to say it, but <clears throat> excuse me if I don't pronounce it properly, but it's titero whakaramu and hera whakamura, which means look to the past, move forwards in the future. And more commonly known in the Maori community, it's like we walk in the future backwards. Recalling the lessons, what we have learned in the past, and applying them directly into the now. So cool, 
Isn't that? I thought it was cool. Jesus tells us, come back to the book, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit, whom the fathers will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. So the Holy Spirit cultivates memory and reminding us of all the memory stones and all the things that God has done for you, for me. And sometimes we are in a situation and you know that you need to bring a, a word or a scripture and you, lo and behold, you can't think of it and all of a sudden it pops up and it comes out of your mouth because that the Holy Spirit is able to help us in situations like that. It's also about all the memory stones that you and me have. When God has come through in such a phenomenal way that it is like, I will never forget that. And it becomes a memory stone. Maybe when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is like a memory stone because you always, that is your testimony of what God has done in your life. In Revelation 12, verse 11, I can't go all into the battle, but the scripture says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Our testimony is just so powerful because most likely you were facing a test, and but you overcame, by the power of God, you overcame, and it becomes a testimony. Or your life was such a mess, but in that God brought a message forth for you. It is just so powerful, the testimony that we carry about our God. And that is the testimony we tell our children. And I, th I believe I, I need to do it more with my children and our grandchildren, that they never forget how we came to New Zealand, what God did in our lives a few years later, and what it really means to us today always helping them to look backwards. So the testimony is about the past. But it is also the memory. But the memory is still alive today. The Christian life is, is powerless without memory, without the recollection of the past. You know, the church was born for such a time like this when God became flesh and blood through his son Jesus. That happened a long time ago. Oh. And here it was Jesus. He lived. He did miracles. He did healings. He raised people from the dead. He taught his disciples. And only that in that only in a short time span of time of three years, he made a huge impact. Then, and he's still making a huge impact now. That Jesus was falsely accused, and he was put on a Roman cross. He was crucified. He suffered greatly, and he died. And he was put in a tomb. But three days later, our Jesus, the Jesus that we still speak about today, 
He rose again from the life, from, from the death and became alive again. And God issued then a death warrant to every evil thing in the world. Every sin and every sickness. Because he gained the power to overcome. So it's impossible for us as Christians to live today without what happened a long time ago. Because that long time ago, we bring it every day, we bring it into the now. You know, last week, well, we were in Rotorua, but you were here and we had communion. And communion is about do this to remember Jesus. Always, when we have the, the drink and the bread out, we, we know exactly who we remember. We stand on this history. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the God who is, who was, and is to come. Jesus is the God of Abraham. Yes, he is the God of Jacob. He's the God of Isaac. We're talking about a long time ago, but we still refer. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. We as believers, we have a powerful fucker papa. Powerful. And no wonder that the Maori people, when they first got hold of a Bible, the genealogy was just so important and so powerful to them that they knew it was a rich fucker papa. These events happened in the past, and so the notion is just leave things in the past. Hmm? Just leave it there. Well, it's false. And even if we try to forget to think that it's not important that past circumstances or past events like the Treaty of Whitehanging, if we think as believers or as Christians or as church that it all happened in the past and it's really not important for the now, that is actually not true because we claim the life of Christ that the past is so important and still plays out today. You know the treaty had a huge influence on our nations and it will still have for time to come. I would say it's like a memorial stone for all of us to think, you know, that this covenant that was agreed on by the people of the land and by the crown will still shape us as a nation, not only today, but for the future. We need to value our own faith, how God has saved us and has rescued us. But we also have a common story here in this nation about how New Zealand came about and how this treaty, when it was signed, are you aware that many Christians were involved in, in the whole process of the treaty? Putting it together, translating it, 
It's not like we are, we had no part in it. We did have a part in it. And we still need to have a part in it. And so we must regain our memory. As we do with our faith. And also with the history of this beautiful land. Because the past will shape New Zealand. It already has. And it will keep shaping our future. We must. I speak for myself. I must. Rediscover the value of knowing and relating to the past in a way that is open, is honest, meaningful, and believing by faith there is hope. There is so much hope in this nation. There is so much future in this nation that we haven't seen. To get the two peoples together on one accord. The past shapes us. The past shapes the future. Our past matter. Your past matter. The beauty of the power of God is, you know, God can redeem you or has already redeemed you for, for all what was wrong and what, all that was not right. For all the sins we had done and for all the, oh, that God in His grace, He's able to save each and every one of us for what He already has. And that's the beauty of the power of God. But I believe it goes far beyond that. That same power of Jesus who transforms us is able to transform our nation. I really believe that. He is able because we can apply that same redeeming power that we have received for our personal life. We can apply it to our nation of New Zealand. The past shapes the future. What shapes us makes us. And allow God who is the potter. We are the clay. Allow God to shape you. And I pray that we as believers, as the church of New Zealand, allow God to shape this nation in a way that it brings glory to Him.